0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of You Might Just Learn Something with Greg and Blaine, sponsored by Alcatel-Lucent Enterprise. Today, you might just learn something about cybersecurity, as Greg and I are joined by our guest, Felipe Soriano. Felipe is a network solutions architect with Alcatel-Lucent Enterprise, with many years of experience designing wired and wireless networks for various enterprise verticals. Well, hello, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I think that we're going to have a really engaging topic on cybersecurity. And with us, as as you heard from Blaine, um, is an expert uh, with our company, and that's uh, Felipe Soriano. And Felipe, really happy that you're with us today. Um, I've relied heavily on you, as well as the company has, for you know, customer satisfaction and doing things right uh, with our customer deployments, especially in education. I think, if I recall, you told me that uh, you were one of the uh, lead engineers for our deployments at uh, at UCLA, and then even uh, helped out with LAUSD too when we uh, were fortunate enough to earn their business. And so, again, appreciate you being here today. And you know, cybersecurity for education is a timely concern. We're seeing uh, lots of reports from uh, many of these industries that monitor this um, including uh, like Verizon's uh, uh, data center breach report, that cybersecurity is uh, that ed- the education vertical is is the number three uh, targeted industry in- worldwide, with finance and healthcare being uh, being above them. And uh, it probably should be no surprise that then Educause, which is a um, organization that uh, supports the technology efforts for uh, improving teaching and learning and higher education. Their polls of CIOs annually has perennially had cybersecurity and cybersecurity practices um, in design as their number one uh, concern of CIOs. We've been seeing some news out there, Felipe, and I know that you wrote a really great white paper uh, based upon some of NIST and CISA's um, CISA's. Um, advice as to how to protect your uh, company from ransomware, how to bolster your cybersecurity uh, posture, and many of these goes along by being risk-based, is from what I've been hearing, and and especially with something new to me that I hadn't even really heard of before, but something called zero trust architecture.
1: So it's it is the buzzword in the industry. And, well, obviously some vendors are doing more things than others and so forth, but everybody has some type of solution. Our solution offers zero trust because we have, we need to see who's coming in, what's coming in, what time of day and so forth, and be able to apply policies to those devices, especially IoT. Today IoT devices are uh, profilating the network with n- a number of, uh, either unmanaged, headless uh, devices join the network. And obviously, security is a concern there. A lot of them are not software patched. A lot of them are just uh, connected. They get the DHCP address and they're part of the network. So, what we offer, uh, and I'm just not saying us, and there are uh, other industry solutions that do this, they, they, they authenticate the user. They able to profile the user based on, what they are, what network access they need, and then put them to the right container to micro-segment the network so that we can apply security policies based on those devices that are connected to the network. Not only the user credentials, but the physical devices that are seen on the network, either wire or wireless.
0: Ah, so this isn't just um, authenticating a user or device and placing them in a broadcast domain. This is really... Getting a little bit more granular, then is—is is that what Zero Trust is doing? Is you know um, only giving access to the to the places in the network that you should have, and not just allowing you to roam anywhere because you're in that VLAN?
1: Exactly, and then with let's say they make it into a VLAN, but we can also apply policies behind the that uh, the user credentials. You, Greg, you're uh, an engineer. They're able to browse. Uh, different resources within the organization. You'll have a different profile than a visitor that comes in. They may be joining the same SSID on the wireless side, but the SSID will have uh, security policies in place to give you access to different resources where the the visitor will only have access to the Internet. So all the packets will be routed. Everything else will be dropped, uh, as they, even though they access the same SSID, the physical network has different policies behind it to be enforced based on you, who you are.
0: So, and that differs from, that differs quite a bit, actually. in um, you know, from the traditional, what we see currently, and this is what I deployed when I was a technology director at my district was the Moat Castle. I had a nice big honking firewall. This was uh, back in uh, the nineties. And so, uh, Uh, Back then I uh, had, um, um, I was using a PIX firewall from Cisco and uh, boy, was that thing complex to, to, uh, to, uh, to program. And then when I finally got it going, you know, I felt confident. I was telling the school board and everybody that, you know, we got a firewall, we are protected. And and I think that's probably been, you know, uh, as true as it's always going to be whenever long you know, as long as you realize that, you know, threats can come from the inside. But uh, boy, with the Internet, moat castle starts to look, it starts to fall down a little bit when the moat is just a, a, you know, as shallow as a rain puddle. And uh, and you're getting threats that are coming in through fishing and, and um, and, you know, especially spear fishing and very well crafted so that end users accidentally are, you know, you know, exposing. And in fact, that's what the, the Verizon data uh, breach report for 2021 was showing for education that. Um, uh 60% of the uh, of the attacks had started with some sort of malware usually a ransomware malware that became that has got really sophisticated i mean you and i as consumers you've seen these emails right they're really easy that they're really easy you, know, you look at it you go that is not from amazon um but uh these uh when they when these criminals start getting you know, start really focusing on you. They get paid. You know, there's a financial incentive for them, and they are, um, and because of that, they do their homework. And they, uh, and it seems like they're, you know, they're they're attacking like that. Is this something that you've been seeing too, with working with our clients and working with some of the sales uh, teams and business partners out there? Are you seeing, you know, activity up, up, you know, amped up activity like this?
1: Yes, uh, in fact. Uh I'm not going to say here uh, and say that our solution will be, help stop uh, external attacks because that's why you have firewalls, IDSs, IPSs that will do that. We're talking about internally a network, visitors, wireless access by people trying to connect from the outside, uh, or even anomaly, traffic anomalies for uh, people that click on the wrong email, wrong attachment that can infect your own devices internally. That's what we're going to be able to see with our uh, OmniSwitch uh, AOS and wireless, Stellar Wireless, able to see the anomalies and be able to react on it, be able to quarantine those uh, devices that are misbehaving inside the network. And another way to control this is to have micro-segmentation within your network. And I can get into the building an SPV, a short-spot breaching infrastructure, where you can put uh, assign a lot of different devices to different containers so you can contain or minimize the spread of a virus to only the container where you have the infected device. But uh, yes, we're not going to stop the, the infections coming from the Internet. That's the job for other external appliances to do their job. We're talking okay. about internally network once the anomaly is detected, And what can we do? And that's where the network has to be intelligent to react to those anomalies and be able to apply the correct security uh, policies or to quarantine those devices.
0: To me, it seems like when I talk with um, as, as important as cybersecurity is, it just seems like it's an afterthought or that it's somebody else's problem. You know, it's uh, IT's problem. It's not it's not my problem. They are the ones that they're running all the equipment, they're keeping us safe. Is that a is that a valid concern?
1: Everybody needs to be involved from the uh, top level all the way on to the everyday type worker, every that needs to be involved. Any device connection to the network needs to be security patched. And that is the number one thing that I uh, talked about earlier. The IoT devices they're not security patched, they introduced Holds. They introduce openings for bad actors to jump into your network and, and be able to hack. But if everybody's involved and everybody's conscious of doing security patches for the devices they attach to the network, and they're careful, the training, this is where the training comes in. They're not clicking on uh, certain email attachments or even uh, unsecured sites and so forth. So the security falls on everybody's shoulders.
0: When we look at, like, let's say higher ed and, you know, they were the original to allow BYOD. BYOD exploded in K through 12 and let's say 2008 when we started getting iPads and consumer devices that were, you know, equivalent to uh, to laptop computers. And. Um, but you know what's your, what kind of uh, advice you know given the proliferation of let's say of a student bringing three or four mobile devices in, what do you you know what's a what's a what's a good like rule of thumb let's say to to say to to a, to, a, to a new customer or a prospect that is you know trying to figure out how do we secure our network and still allow these students to be able to 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 use these devices that they are that they're so familiar with.
1: Yeah, those devices need to be profiled, uh, meaning they they need to be obviously security patched. But you cannot control that from, especially in higher ed, students having three or four different devices: Androids, uh, Apple phones, iPad. They connect, and we don't know if they've been uh, patched or not. They connect, so only thing you can do is profile the device, know what it is, and be able to based on the credentials from the. User be able to put him in a, in the correct container. If it's uh, for gaming, they're going to use it for gaming. Perhaps you create a container for that, and then just internet access from there. Or if it's um, to do their uh, learning management system LMS uh, systems, and maybe put in a different container for that. Once they access that, so there's things that you can do uh, to segment uh microsegment the uh, the network to protect it against all these different devices but yeah all the control of those could be based on the on the user profile you can apply the policies the security policies to those users and whatever device they use will have the same um or similar set of uh policies to for them
0: well, how do you um, how do you profile then a device? Is it through their MAC address and just you know trying to parse it out from that, or is there a library that you can compare and contrast? Or
1: yes, there's two ways that simple ways. Obviously, yeah, you do it through a MAC and you do a self uh, somebody registers their device and you can do that like BYOD type of thing. Or we also offer a solution called for application fingerprinting, and that's based on the device that connects to the network. Our OmniVista, uh, if we go into a product specific uh, solution, uh, OmniVista uh, talks to an external uh, finger bank. That's the name of the um, database. And it's a collection of all the different devices. Everything you get from a DHCP um, request, you can actually get through there and it gets inventory profile. The more information that device provides, the more it's going to be captured to this application fingerprinting or device fingerprinting solution that gets fed into our database. And then that inventory database, we can apply it or enforce policies based on those device that um, characteristics that were um, picked up from, from the database, from the external database to Omnivista.
0: Speaking of then of best practices, what other best practices are there? You know, I, th- that you can recommend or that you're aware of. You know, knowing that, let's say universities are running spanning tree or they got OSPF going, or what would what some of the things you'd recommend? I
1: recommend to implement choice path bridging. Choice path bridging away a way, eliminates spanning tree and still have the network uh, physical link redundancy offered through tradition to spanning tree, but there are no blocked links. Every single gig, 10 gig, uh, 40 gig, 100 gig uh, interlink between uh, uh, the backbone, I mean the access and the backbone, all the links between them are used using SPB. If you were implementing a uh, spanning tree for that, then obviously uh, any redundant link will be blocked. With SPV, you use old links. Plus, you offer a lot of security. I talk about the, the micro segmentation, the containers, and so forth. You uh, SPV allows you to do that to be able to micro segment your network and uh, apply to containers, security containers to minimize the spread of viruses.
0: Let's talk about that. So, you mentioned containers a couple times, and I wasn't really sure what that meant. These are like virtual, like Almost like VLANs, are they, or what, what exactly? It's a
1: subset of a VLAN, because the, it could be on the same physical uh, network, but since it's, it's tunneled all throughout the network, it's uh, it could be a, a layer two, but there are different policies behind there to either physically deny, drop traffic, so you can segment the network, even though they're on the same physical network, you can restrict communications between devices if they're on different containers. So a basic application of uh, access policies, the traditional way access control is, and so forth.
0: Well, is this also to something like what? Okay, so you mentioned SPB. That's uh, and that eliminates spanning tree and gives you um, actually a much more reactive network when um, what millisecond you know failover. Um, or sub-second failover versus whatever spanning tree gives you. And, uh, any you know, anything else that might be, um, you know, like, well, and you mentioned software uh, patch practices and staying on top of that. I mean, how many times, I mean, like that target, I mean, how many times are you going to bring up like target, you know, that target uh, attack was through an IOT device that wasn't patched, hadn't been patched for like two years. And if it had been, they, they wouldn't have been able to exploit it. Um, let's see, training we talked about a little bit. Um, what about like with SPB? That's more like a layer two. So if you are got to employ layer three.
1: No, it's, it's a network underlay. It's not a necessarily you can do layer three over SPB also. So when we talk about OSPA, VGP, that can also be run um, over an SPB network. So all that's supported. Uh, layer two, layer three is transparent. I'm talking about the, the the almost like a layer 2 VPNs are created across an an SPB network. So if you can picture a layer 2 VPN from end to end from one side of the network to the next, that's why it's so um secure because nobody can break into those links because it's all tunneled through the network and the security embedded in within the the technology to protect um those uh, devices.
0: In your, in your opinion, is there any value in, let's say, authenticating OSPF areas, you know, where they advertise to each other and uh, and accept the advertisements?
1: Yeah, and, and that's all based on the protocol for OSPF. There's embedded security there for, to, uh, uh, with encryption and so forth. So, yeah, that, that doesn't break anything. SPV uh, works with it, or it's an underlay for an OSPF network. So there's no interference that so you can continue to to secure your SPF areas and authenticate them
0: yeah that's because I could see um, you know especially in universities and you get kids that are in computer science and they're playing around and you know one thing can lead to another and before you know it they're advertising their own area and they're black holing traffic and playing around with it go ahead look at what we just did um that's
1: well, that's where the key to be able to create these uh, containers. So for them not to be able to do that, uh, they'll just be talking to each other and not affecting the rest of the network.
0: I was reading that uh, Verizon uh, breach report, and they were talking about how um, that 60% was because of misconfiguration. They would spin up a, uh, a VM and it'd be misconfigured. And so, you know, what's your what's your what's your thoughts on, let's say, automation and using, you know, automation tools to try to reduce uh, errors and errors in configuration?
1: Yeah, we offer a lot of automation. Again, just going back to specific to our uh, AI solution, there's a lot of um, automation there. The intelligent fabric um, it can automate, but the, in regards to your uh, VM uh, being a bad VM uh, with the network addressing or the, the protocols and so forth. Our network going to react to those changes, so I can't say that it's going to be 100% foolproof that if you misconfigure uh, routing and stuff like that, but at the same time, you're going to have the option to... Uh, it's either going to work or not work, correct? So this automation is there, uh, and it's going to trigger certain events, but if those events are not complete, then it's going to fail. So I, I can't say... For sure, how I can always stop that from happening to be able to automate that from not happening not for um misconfigure VM to be part of the network. For me, it just it's gonna try to join. If you spawn it, you have intelligent fracking enabled in our infrastructure, then something's gonna trigger an event and if it's not completed, then it doesn't go anywhere. It just Secure by default, almost like saying uh, it won't complete the process because uh, there'll be missing parameters.
0: Yeah, that's and that's something that, uh, you know, especially when you try to do things at scale, um, that's probably a a recipe for making mistakes and automation. You know, you are using the same template and uh, you'll know right away pretty quickly if uh, you've got any mistakes in there despite all the uh, news about r- ransomware and attacks, it's shocking how um, little forethought has been put into cyber breach plans. And have you been, uh, have any of our business partners talked to you about looking for like best practices or how to, you know, counsel or advise our customers on uh, creating cyber bre- breach plans?
1: Yes. In fact, I wrote a document uh of- well, four months ago or so, when it was published, it's also blogging our Spacewalkers um, user community. How I introduce this, what security best practices. And again, it's 100% based for our OmniSwitch instead of Wireless products, but it could easily be applied to any other networking equipment. Basically, uh, making sure you update your passwords, your certificates. Um, all that is common to that, plus as far as the network infrastructure, to make sure you assign the correct passwords, um, you know, I users are coming to the network, creating um, uh, useful profiles for your wireless uh, connectivity, the for guests or uh, for employees with captive portal, uh, BYOD security and so forth. So I created a document. I obviously we can send that, um, a reference with our podcast the reference. Uh, it's, uh, it's in the blog. It's in the space blogger, uh, space walkers blog with all the details about that, um, white paper that I wrote.
0: That's terrific. You know, And so then I, I think like, you know, when going back to when, you know, again, cybersecurity being such a broad topic and there's so many different dimensions to, you know, how to improve your posture. I think like, you know, for me, um, table stakes were, you know, lock your data center doors, you know, have some sort of, you know, access control that only specific engineers or specific employees are allowed in that facility. Um, uh, you know, is there, you know, are there like other, like kind of like real, just basic type of ground floor, let's say for our K-12 audience, for those that, you know, maybe walking into a position that, uh, the school board or the superintendent has asked them, Hey, we really want to make sure we don't get hit by a cyber attack. You know, what, what, would you, what would be your, you know, how would you first start with, with that? Would it start with training would it you know would it start with you know hardening your network environment
1: exactly you mentioned training is going to be the number one key here but as far as um also uh, from a higher level your uh whatever's coming through your firewalls that needs to be um uh upgraded changed or to to be strengthened i mean that's your your opening from the outside coming in Once you're inside of it, that's where you come in start doing um, the training of your employees um, and also at the same time, harden your network by configuring specific security policies, the ability to do uh, micro-segmentation of your network to be able to do not just the traditional VLANs anymore, but within those VLANs, you have to apply different um, uh, policies, security policies to control in case your device gets infected. And once that, the training part comes in by employees being able to recognize that, having a a switch network infrastructure to be able to recognize those anomalies and be able to apply uh, and enforce policies to control those devices. So like I said, we start from the training to updating all your uh, uh, external facing systems. So your security system needs to be updated and secure policies training all your employees uh, all the stakeholders inside your organization to be aware of the security risks. And then your infrastructure needs to have some uh, tools to be able to control that, to be able to see network anomalies, to be able to quarantine those devices that are being um, possibly uh, affected and so forth. So it's a long list of things that will check mark. And that's what I've done with the security best practices to be able to do a check mark on this infrastructure side of things. I'm not looking at the business side because that's all uh, employees stakeholders need needs to be trained to be able to abide to those rules. But at least from the network infrastructure side, there's a checklist to be able to abide it and uh, apply it to to all devices that connect to the network.
0: You know, some of the training that we get here, It's boring. You know, uh, it, it's hard to to stay with it. You kind of go am oh, gonna just get through this thing and take the quiz and and uh, be done with it. Do you have any recommendations to make it a little bit more more fun? Um, you know, I know higher ed every October. They have like cybersecurity awareness month and many campuses, you know, have activities and stuff for their students. You, have you heard of anything like this or anything that makes cybersecurity training fun?
1: I think I experienced a couple where they actually create a story around the training. And I know it's uh, probably a lot more effort to do that, but at least that'll make it more interesting. They, they'll create a story saying, uh, X person did this, and this is the effect that what caused, uh, what could be the issue. They don't know the issue. They'll introduce the, the, all, all the parties to what's going on. And then they say, well, this is what happened. And at the end, maybe they'll uh, not make it funny by saying this user clicked on this uh, free shampoo offer and it created this uh, meltdown of the data center and so forth. So it's a serious thing. But at the same time, they make it interesting by creating a story behind it.
0: I remember there was a Texas university that that published something like that about a year or two ago. And I remember, uh, I remember playing the game. Yeah, you could play the game and get a score and then you could compare your score to somebody else.
1: Yeah, the stories usually tell you a lot. I mean, they they usually help uh, with um, to convey a point that a serious point that which is security. So, games so or stories would do that.
0: You know, and that goes back into some of the evolutions in in uh, in teaching is the gamification. You know, turn it into fun. Make them hunt and look and and you and you and you remember more than you do just by rotely reading or memorizing. Um, hey, so let me. I'm gonna just do a r- little recap of some of the best practices that we were talking about, and then I'd like to dive into and finish up with what can ALE offer our customers uh, w- with regards to, you know, in- implementing a, a cybersecurity plan. And so, just like the recap, if if I could, and and please you know, correct me because uh, this is a lot of this is coming from you is that when we look at best practices in the beginning, a cybersecurity plan needs to include training for the end users. It seems like this is the major way that um, exploits are happening, that that uh, users and users are, are accidentally clicking on things because they think they need to. And uh, the next one is to take a page out of zero trust and uh, to... Only allow people to have access to what they what they should and not be just be able to roam the network because they authenticated. Um, Next was um, being able to profile devices, all the myriad devices that are coming in, knowing what they are, being able to micro segment them. And then, you know, one thing we didn't talk about is forensics, you know, supposing that there is an attack. We never really talked about like time synchronization and making sure that that uh, network time protocol is supported on all the switches so that when you get these stamps, you can measure up with what the firewall, what the IDS, what the IDP and what the switch or wireless controller or wireless access point is seeing.
1: It's exactly what I referenced in my security best practices. NTP is the number one thing. Everything needs to be synchronized. And uh, I, I didn't mention enough about our omnivest uh, for analytics, uh, uh, trending, uh, predictive analytics, and so forth. That's all part of our solution. So to be able to do trends, so if for some reason uh, something happens at a certain time of day, and it's happened throughout the quarter, you can actually the predictive analysis be able to apply a, a policy there based on that trending. So you can also capture a lot of those analytics. Or Omni switches uh, have the capability to do some type of analytics. Others do application um, visibility, know exactly what applications are coming through the network and be able to take uh, sampling uh, what's going on. So there's a lot of that, uh, but the specific is predictive analysis or predictive um, uh, trending and so forth. That's part of our solution today. And in fact, we just about to launch our first phase of what we call Omniverse Next Generation. It's a cloud-based solution that it's going to be able to do for that to offer the, the enterprise the quality of experience, the measurements of what applies to quality of experience. Our first phase will be 100% wireless. It's going to be able to show you what uh, channels the, the device are using What throughput, how long it took them to authenticate, how long it took them to say connected, I connected, what applications, uh, the top end applications, the uh, top end users, and so forth. So, all those analytics can be put up to the cloud and presented to the CIO. So, the CIO can present it as a report to management or vice versa, that um, the engineering can actually use it to fine tune a network fine-tune what's going on, what channels are being used, where is the concentration of users, the roaming, uh, quality of the roaming and so forth, what um, uh, RF holes there are in the network that need to be uh, either installed more APs or uh, better, uh, more powerful antennas and so forth. So all that is part of the next generation uh, Omnivista that I didn't mention, but uh, there is some type of um, support today with Omnivista we shipping bring it up to a different level to to open up for the quality of experience for all users that all connected devices into the network we're offering um Omnivista next generation or how we're going to market it as Omnivista series 10.x will be the ne- the first release
0: that sounds exciting i really like uh Omnivista where it's at now and Anything that says next generation, you know, it's got to be good. So I'm looking forward to seeing what that's going to be about. Tell me, you know, I heard that uh, these analytics that that you're describing, we can export those, right?
1: Oh yes, they can be exported today. Just either uh, an Excel or a, Z, uh, CV, uh, a format. I uh, Excel exportable format CSV. Yeah, they can be exported, and and if you have a third uh, third party. Um, analyzers that you can feed that data in, or just present it the way we do it and report it in our reports in Omnivista. But yeah, all that data is exportable and you can do as you wish with it. So let's say you have a frequency every month you export, you collect the data, and then you you have a, a larger external application that can crunch those numbers. And that's exactly what we plan to do with the Omnivista Next Generation, to be able to take all this data and present it to you with, to, with useful information.
0: There's a a drive for digital transformation, especially in higher education. And this digital transformation is holistic. It's not just changing out equipment and saying, hey, we just digitally transformed. It's it's a cultural change. It's a focus on student uh, success. It's the broadening of access to research. Many different facets go into digital transformation that you, that are all positive for universities. And when we think about the broader aspects of digital transformation, you know, you you in um, student success. A lot of that is based on, you know, um, how can we profile successful students and then identify students that may be failing or struggling and then be able to nudge or to reach out and, um, and interdict, you know, to help out, provide them with mentorship, provide them with tut- tutoring, whatever. And so when our, with our top end reports can we like segment and say, oh, Greg Kovich was, you know, he consumed 800 megabits of uh, data um, in this last 24-hour period. Successful students consumed 150 megabits, you know. And then, oh, let's dig deeper into Greg, and it's like, well, Greg's watching a lot of Netflix and is not showing up to class. Is that stuff that we can, you know, that we can we get granular enough to where we can say by um, authenticated ID? how much data that they're using or even what locations that they may be going to?
1: Not today, not that specific to a particular uh, user applying to application, but we do do top-end applications that were used throughout the the day. The data is there. It's just how you formulate it. So I was going to say, when you export it, you can do a lot of stuff, what you want. But the way we present it with Omnivista is not that granular. It's based on top-end applications. You do have a report where you could say, how long was, it, was a user device connected to the network, and what top-end uh, URLs they accessed? Uh, yeah, the 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 data is there to be uh, to be harvested.
0: There are analytic uh, softwares that, that do that would I think take advantage of being able to consume some of that mail to create a profile.
1: Good, yeah, you just export that and then crunch it any way you want it.
0: Given zero trust, moat castle. Um, the different variety of, wide variety of devices and, and IoT adoptions that K-12 and higher ed are, are using. Can you, like, kind of go through, uh, like, you know, what you think stand out from ALE's perspective, how we can, uh, how we can be a better um, member of their defense in depth, if you will, um, uh, for cybersecurity?
1: Yes, uh, we have, and again, a good uh, document to explore is the security best practices. We can shut down every single access to a switch. We don't leave anything open. It's up to you to open different access to, for management, for HTTP, HTTPS, SSL, and so forth to, for the management. So we give you a, a very uh, closed system that you can open as you wish and enable certain services. And then we, when we talk about the infrastructure standpoint to build a, uh, an underlay for the transport side of it, short-spat bridging is that uh, a unique design to be able to support uh, automated dynamic services that you can create across, do micro-segmentation, the security containers on top of um, SPV, uh services and so forth. So, uh, so from the infrastructure, the transport, From the security, we have what we called um, in the past always been unified access, meaning uh, to be able to do access guardian. Any access to a network needs to go through some type of authentication. We offer embedded uh, radius and Omnivista if you care to use uh, the embedded one or talk to uh, an external radius service, LDAP service, active directory that you may already have installed. We can do that. We just act as a proxy through Omnivista. So all the security you have implemented today can be leveraged through Omnivista. The infrastructure, there's a lot of automation for service creation, dynamically uh, putting device, assigning devices based on the authentication credentials to put in the correct seg- uh, um, a container within the network, security container. If you want to create one for, uh, it's, it's an IoT for all the door locks in your university door locks, uh, uh, maybe the electronic messaging and so forth, they'll go into a container that only them uh, can talk to each other. So if anybody wants to hack, they'll just be hacking within. They won't let the communication in. So there's a lot of embedded security that we offer with our solutions um, that you can leverage to harden your network.
0: Just like you said, it starts with authentication, this role-based access control, and then... Um, using this overlay or this underlay of SPB. What's the right term? Underlay? Overlay?
1: It's it's an overlay because uh, all the services will be contained within it. So that would be an overlay. Or uh, maybe an OSPF uh, network, it could be underlay between that. So it depends <laughs> which one. Or sometimes you have a VXLAN. The VXLAN could be your underlay on top of SPB and so forth. So there's <laughs> different ways how you in it, but in this case, it, it, SPV is the overlay for our transport mechanism, and it could be an underlay for uh, another technology, like NPLS or uh, if you're doing carrier connectivity. So you have NPLS on the carrier side, that's the your overlay, and the SPV on the underlay.
0: So role-based access control. That gives us the identity. We know exactly who's getting on the network and then we're able to apply great, fine granular policies to them, stick them in containers that SPB provides us. And then from that, we have our network management platform that gives us these top reports. It gives us predictive analysis and reactive analysis of what has been going on and what we can predict as future traffic flows or densities. Um, And uh, also, too, there's traffic anomaly detection. We didn't really talk much about that, but we have a feature where we you know, can identify uh, that a user or a device has got anomalous traffic based upon its previous uh, 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 network usage. Is, is that correct?
1: I made a reference to it when I was talking about quarantining misbehaving devices. So it almost acts like a zero-day attack that uh, if it sees uh, traffic anomalies, it'll report it. By default, AOS will see it and say, okay, well, it just reports something's going on there. But you can also uh, enforce, dynamically enforce policies. If they see some anomaly right away, put that uh, device into quarantine. So the only way they can see it is for the administrator to take action, say what's going on with this device, this uh, traffic anomaly, it, it's different than its usual pattern. So yes, that is a function of a. Uh, that can work in conjunction with Quarantine Manager.
0: That's excellent. And then when we quarantine someone, they know about it. They're presented with a page that says, hey, you're off the production network and contact IT to to help get you back on. So I think that's that's a nice friendly thing too with uh with instead of it just being hey this device isn't working crash crash and you know and hey mom dad I need a new computer <laughs> that's uh, no um and then uh, another another nice uh a ni- another nice feature that that uh, customers have been talking to us about is our integration with uh Fortinet and Palo Alto firewalls giving much grant more granular um uh, descriptions to uh, for forensic capability uh, that it's no longer just an IP address. Now the firewall is looking at anomalous uh, behavior, but now it's also tied back to the uh, the device or the user ID that uh, that started that traffic, and uh, and then um, I think that you know more like on an operational side, you know we um, we have a hardened OS that uh, not only is tested to recognize IP-based attacks like DDoS and and Pepsi and Syn and all those other, like... ancient ones, if you want to, you know, since the beginning of IP, but, uh, but also, you know, some of the newer ones too. And so that and natively we recognize those and can black hole them without it impacting traffic. Um, another is uh, encrypted network management. You know, I think, I think a lot of manufacturers do this, but, you know, we, uh, you know, present to you that the first way to communicate with the switch, you mentioned that everything's turned off and that in order to communicate the switch, you actually have to physically touch it and to be able to change it to uh, To accept uh, remote commands so it's not just some headless zombie out there and some kid gets to it before you do. Um, and then another another one was uh, using like link layer discovery protocol was something that I saw with media extensions.
1: Yeah, it's perfect for, uh, yeah, the, it came part of the uh, power over the net, uh functionality, but it could also be used for security to apply other types of policies to it based on, through the LDP, the Link Discovery Protocol, that is a standard, and we've been supporting since its um, uh, approval.
0: Well, and then the one and then the very last one, and this is something that I just discovered today in chatting with you prior to the podcast was, um, MaxSec encryption. We have MaxSec encryption, and I always looked at that as an uplink, you know, taking a switch to another switch ensuring that that backbone traffic or whatever is encrypted and and is protected. But you're telling me now that we can actually go max sec from access ports to APs. So we can actually go from core to the access point and encrypted traffic for 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 our customers. Is is that accurate or did, did, did I miss here It you? is
1: accurate. The best application of it today it will be for uh, data center interconnects. Remote or because you can encrypt all traffic from point A to point B, core to core, but also within an enterprise, within a, a campus, you can go edge to core. Uh, we have devices, and in fact, uh, we just uh, introduced a new one for the our aggregation or virtual chassis, uh, the Omni 6900 X48E4E. That's the model that supports MaxSec um, and hardware. This is a hardware option. You cannot ever imp, uh, implement one with software as it's software feature functionality of the, of the Omni switch. And we can do it from the edge of the network with uh, various uh, 6860N, 6860E, 6560, 6460, uh, yeah, 6865. So, oh, there's a lot of different platforms we can put at the edge to do MACSEC encryption from the edge to the core of the network and onto the data center. So that's done, that has been um, uh, supported for, for the last couple of years. Now the next step is when are devices, end devices coming through? So right now there aren't any. Uh, the research I've done is uh, some Linux uh, devices they can do some type of MACSEC encryption from from the device to onto a, a switch and onto the network. Uh, today, uh, another way to do encryption all the way to the edge of the network is put it on the stellar access points for wireless, and that is in the plan. We plan to put it uh, to support MACSEC. They're already MACSEC-ready. Um, most of the higher-end APs uh, are MACSEC-ready to be supported in the wireless access points. So let's say a user connects to access point. It will be MACSEC encrypted all the way through the network. So another layer of security for that. Right now, the best application for MACSEC will be for backbone connectivity or for remote uh, data centers, remote connection from point A to point B. You want everything encrypted between them? You can do that and the newer model support up to 256-bit encryption.
0: Well, I'd have to tell you, Felipe, this has been really fabulous uh, being with you today and learning a little bit about cybersecurity and best practices. And for everybody out there, I hope you just learned something. Thanks again, everyone. Take care. Take care. Thank you. Thanks for listening to You Might Just Learn Something with Greg and Blaine. You Might Just Learn Something is sponsored by Alcatel-Lucent Enterprise make sure to check out the other interesting educational topics in this podcast series. See you next time.